Thank you for joining us on the Southwest Florida Business Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and today I'm joined by Joe Nugent from Joe the Home Pro. We dig into what it's looking like on Fort Myers Beach in Sanibel after the storm. We talk about how he runs the company and why he focuses so much on excellent customer service. So if you're a real estate agent or an insurance agency, you don't want to miss this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Joe Nugent from Joe the Home Pro. This episode is brought to you by Southwest Florida Podcast. We help businesses make marketing videos. Now, a lot of businesses see the value in video content, but they don't know where to start. Filming, editing, posting on social media, these can take up a lot of time and they can be pretty frustrating. And that's where we come in. We work with businesses to highlight the value they bring to their customers and share that online. Now, we've created the Marketing Manager's Guide to Video Content that you can download for free by following the link below or scanning the QR code on your screen. Now, enjoy the show. Dude, you want to roll into it? Yeah, I'm ready, man. Whenever right. you are, brother. Joe, let's do it. How let's you do doing? It. I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Aside from uh, the baby keeping me up for a little bit last <laughs> night, I'm I'm ready to rock and roll, man. I remember those days. It's fine. It gets better. <sighs> yeah. No, it does. And it, now it's just a it's a one-off thing now, yeah. which is nice. So. And then you have another one. And then and we'll have other. another one, and I'll be right back here again and doing these interviews. Maybe you'll catch me the next time I have that. And be like, <laughs> all right, so tell me about Joe the Home Pro. <laughs> well, I guess let's start there. Tell me about Joe the Home Pro, and then I want to dig into what you're seeing out there, especially after the hurricane. And I know that you're yeah. working with a bunch of different insurance agents and uh, and real estate agents and everything like that. So what what's Joe the Home Pro, and then let's dive into it. Yeah, so Joe the Home Pro is a fully licensed, bonded, insured home inspection company. <clears throat> we also have a, a home watch division that I just sold 90% of. Uh, actually, ironically, like three weeks before the hurricane, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. So this poor guy, who's actually my lead inspector, I sold my company to him. And so this happens on September 1st, right? So people are still, you know, away. Some of them are coming back. It's just like, heck, I'm like, hey, listen, we'll get all this training and all this stuff figured out over the next few months. And so then like the hurricane happens, he's like, uh, what do I do? I'm like, uh, nothing, just follow my lead. <laughs> like, so it was nuts, that was nuts. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so we cover, our inspection company covers Marco to Punta Gorda and you know, we do everything, whether it's general inspections, insurance ones, mold, radon, all the good stuff, termite, all the fun stuff. We, I just bought a drone, so that's pretty fun. So we're gonna do drone stuff now. Nice. So I'm pretty pumped about. Uh, one of my new inspectors is a licensed drone pilot. So I was like, this is perfect. So I'm like, send me over some drone options. It's like 25 grand. I'm like, how about the, send me over the ones that are small business owner ones. He's like, oh, okay. Here's like $1,200. I'm like, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I don't need to also be able to hang from this drone <laughs> yeah. while it's flying. Yeah. Like I can't live in the drone. Okay. So like, <laughs> can you just give me a, anyway. So uh, yeah. So Airstream that's what we do. drone. Airstream drone. Yeah. That's I what like you it. need. Well, okay. So what's been going on since the hurricane? Buddy, nothing great. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean- it was bad, like bad, bad. And, yeah. you know, the one thing I talk about uh, to a lot of people is, like, we are so lucky that Irma broke up on that back end. If Irma didn't break up that back end, like, as it came across, you know, landfall and as it kind of cut diagonally across the state, I'm telling you right now, we would still be underwater. Like, we would still be picking up pieces from Irma because that storm was like four times the size of, of Ian. Yeah. 
Ian just was like this little bitch that like kept just stalling out going like two miles an hour all the way up the coast. So it just like it wasn't big in terms of like the circumference of it, but it was big in terms of like the damage it did and the destruction. And then that's when all that, you know, all that surge happened. Um, and it's been bad. I mean, just last week we were on Fort Myers Beach and Sanibel. We what had was inspections. That like? So <clears throat> I was really nervous about I haven't been on Fort Myers Beach. It's probably been like six weeks. So like we've been helping crews and trying to clear stuff. We've been doing that since the hurricane, but things have kind of dissipated a little bit in that regard. But now we're starting to see like, okay, things are gutted, they're stripped down to the studs, or people are rebuilding, or whatever the case is. So some some real estate's starting to move there again. Okay. And it's interesting. Uh, so <clears throat> we were on the south end um, across the street from the beach. Ironically, my aunt and uncle live in like the same little development. So we did a, a high-rise condo in the back, and it was on like the ninth or 10th floor. So it was fine. No issues there. The lobby got pretty messed up, um, as all of them really have uh, that you see. But the other one we did was a villa. And it's a three-story villa, but the main floor is where the garage is. <clears throat> and the garage took on 12 feet of water, completely submerged. So after that happened, there was allegedly state inspectors or township inspectors. Somebody came out there and they said everything's good. But no one can find the paperwork. There's no trail of paperwork that this ever happened. So like the township has no paperwork, the state doesn't have anything. And I'm going, what the hell's going on? Because if you have an electrical panel that was completely submerged in 12 feet of salt water, yeah. someone's going to have to explain to me how that's okay. So I go to, we do this inspection and the panel was not okay. And I go, <laughs> we need to get an electrician out here. Like you need to get somebody out here with some eyes on this. That's an expert. The next night I was at this event and I ran, I met, uh, a woman, her and her husband own an electric uh, electrical company. And so I'm telling her this story and her eyes are like, they got as big as saucers. The more and more I started telling her about this house and she goes, that is unreal. I go, I can't believe this like happened. So what's happening right now on the beach is a lot. There's like multifaceted things, but let's start with one thing. First off, Fort Myers beach is an absolute train wreck still. Like they need help out there. Okay. Like, there are still part, like there are homes that are like half knocked over, half standing. There's still debris everywhere. Most of the condos on the beach, some of them don't have power. Some of them don't have water still. Electrical grids are being rebuilt. Fort Myers Beach is really, really bad. And, you know, I vacationed there as a kid. My grandparents had a condo right on the beach. And you go down like to Naples, you wouldn't even know that like that there was any event at all, right? I mean, you really don't know. You start driving up Fort Myers Beach and up that way, especially that back way on Bonita Beach Road, it's bad. There are there's only like one or two restaurants that are open even on Bonita Beach Road on the way there, right? Like uh Coconut Jacks I think just reopened. They had a wall that collapsed. Somehow they're back reopened again. On the beach they're using like trailers and stuff on Fort Myers Beach. There's a couple of like trailers. Some of them are doing food trucks now. So from a a reconstruction perspective, Fort Myers Beach has a long way to go. From a home perspective, like a home inspection perspective, there's no way I'd be buying any place on Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, Captiva, Matt Lachey without doing mold and air quality testing. Yeah. Um, I just had a realtor reach out to me yesterday and she's like, 
uh, my client wants to put a bid on this home, but they need to see if it's like structurally sound. I'm like, you, they need a structural engineer. I go, well, I mean, I, I can go out there and take a look and just kind of look at some things and try to get an idea for you. She goes, you got to wear like a mask and gloves. And I mean, cause it's really bad. Like the stuff that's happened to these places very well, sadly. And in, and in no time it gets filled with mold and everything. And 100%. especially if it wasn't, if it wasn't like cleared out quickly. I went to a couple houses, the couple weeks after the hurricane, nobody wants to do podcast interviews. So I had a, a quite a bit of free time and some of the houses that I ended up going to were just random people to like help gut and all that stuff. But some of them I went to would be a week or 10 days after the hurricane came through and they, some of these were along the river yeah. uh, up in Fort Myers. And like they had just opened up the doors to the house the day before and you can smell it. And I'm, and I was, I kind of hit that point around like 10, 10, 11 days after the storm of like, I just like, I really personally can't go do this stuff anymore. Cause I can start feeling like my lungs and my chest were getting like messed up yeah. and it's crazy how quickly that can happen. I didn't think it would be that fast, but, and you pull stuff down and there's like mold all behind this drywall and everything. Are you seeing stuff like that still, or is it almost more hidden now at this point? Cause there's more time that's passed. Okay. So one of the, one of the problems that happened was people were doing like these homemade remedies of like, I'm going to take care of the water issue that happened in my house. And so they're like, I'm just going to put fans on the affected areas. Well, there's mold spores in there. So those fans are now blowing mold spores all over the entire home. It's going to get in the ductwork. It's going to get everywhere. Right? So there's a lot of people that are like, no, 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 I totally took care of it. Well, let me tell you something. We're now what? Five months after the storm as of a few days ago. And I think in the next few months, you're going to start to see things manifest again from like people thought they took care of something. And now it's like, no, I still have like this musty odor. And it's like, open up a drawer somewhere. And it's like, there's a giant black spot right there. Like that's mold. Like you didn't do the right thing. Like you have to like be cutting those affected areas out. You have to be having a professional come in and really remediate any potential hazard that you had a mold in there. It's, it's really bad. Yeah. It's really bad. There's a lot of mold. I mean, the house we did on Sanibel last Friday, it hasn't had power or water in five months. So my inspector goes in there and I was like, dude, you got to go put a mask on. Like you got to protect yourself. I don't want you. I didn't, I didn't want him in there, but there is visible mold all over this place. Right. And there's no power. There's no water. There's, you know, so, you know, you asked me like, what is going on in the storm? And I can take this like a thousand different ways for like 10 hours because it's just there are some areas that are so affected still. And, you know, the, one of the cool things about Southwest Florida is, if you think about it, we're a very blue-collar area, right? Everyone's like, oh, all the rich people. Okay, forget them, right? There's 10% of the people down here. Sure. All the rest are regular working people. And there are so many different trades down here. So, like, if I'm, like, Home Depot or Lowe's, I'm going, how do I drop 5 million tons of materials in the middle of Fort Myers Beach and in eight months, the whole thing's going to be rebuilt because there's just that many tradespeople down here. And so I think that's all we got to do is like, we just got to figure out how do we clean up as fast as we can and clear whatever we need to clear. And then how do we get all these materials in? Because I think it's going to be rebuilt. Well, we know it's going to be rebuilt bigger and better than ever. And I think the next time this happens, Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, Captiva, Matt Lachey, you're not going to see the destruction that we're seeing now or that we saw five months ago. Building codes will change. 
homes are going to be built you know, much stronger and better. Um, I know Fort Myers Beach already has a 12 foot above kind of like minimum height requirement. I think that's going to go to 15. It wouldn't surprise me, um, which is part of the reason why people are getting priced out. So people that had like stilt homes and they're like, well, I want to rebuild. And the township's going, okay, has to be a minimum of 12 feet. And they're like, well, I have to bring in all this dirt. I have to do this. And they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're selling. And that's why all these investors are buying up a lot of this property. Well, the red coconut, that RV park that yep. was there, I think it got, I could be wrong on the number, but I think it was like $47 million. Oh, it's something. insane. There's another spot right next to where my grandparents' condo was um, that sold for like 11 or 12 million. It's going to be like 10 high-end like condos. Yeah. Like it just, I mean, that's what's going to happen. So like if anyone had dreams of like investing in a rental property on Fort Myers Beach, those dreams are probably up in smoke unless you find about three to four million dollars overnight. Because even right now, you can buy something there. It's going to be really high, but like in another two or three or four years, it's probably going to double in value because everything else is going to be built back up by then. That's true. Yeah. You just got to deal with whatever comes with owning it in the interim. Hundred percent. Yeah. So for like, we're seeing stuff that is like we're seeing issues from the storm. Still, we're seeing electrical panels that aren't good. We're definitely seeing some mold and air quality issues. Um, our environmental specialists that that we utilize, like, you know, they're doing a great job. They've been busier than all get out. Um, so there's definitely some issues that are still out there. And I mean, I think that it's really important that as a full-time resident in Southwest Florida, we do not forget that there are still areas that need our help. I was just talking to somebody about this, literally texting about this two hours ago today really? was... I guess there's a there's a podcast called Beach Talk Radio, something yeah. like that. And um I just learned about it yesterday from her, but she said they're they're one of the few people that's actually doing a good job of keeping people up to date, what's going on out there, getting funds, getting things like that. And I was like, Yeah, man, I have to admit, because it doesn't impact me every day, because I'm not going out there every day, it's not like I forgot that it happened, but you forget who it's impacting because you're not out there. Yeah. It's not you know, my house didn't get hit by it. I'm not out there. I'm not seeing it all the time. So I don't know. You can, it's easy to forget. It is. And I think especially when you're, when you're like, you're living life, like nothing ever happened because you can, yeah. right? Because you're fortunate to, right? Like, and not you or me per se, but like, just like down in Naples, right? I mean, like Fifth Avenue was flooded, but you wouldn't know that at all. Everything's back up and running. Um, I think for me, it's like, I went out there a lot after the storm just to try to help people. We were like, clear. And at that point I was trying to do like storm inspections for free, but I was like, there's no inspection to do It's They need help cleaning this place out. Just right. Getting so that's what we were doing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Which is insane. Right. So if you go, uh, and go like that back way across from lover's key, there's that giant field. I mean, that whole thing is piled 30 feet tall. As far as you can see of storm debris. Are they, is that still full? Yeah, it's yeah, it's still pretty full. And like my uncle was telling me, like they're they're bringing like like one day there'll be like a couple trucks there and they'll take it and they'll haul it out. But then like a few hours later, there's other trucks that are coming right back and dumping stuff. So, well, they know, they did a good job clearing this corner yeah. over here. That was loaded right after the storm because yep. all this stuff here in Benita along the water was totally like everything was impacted. All this, but they got it out pretty relatively quickly. I think. Within maybe a month and a half before they really started 
like knocking those piles down. I talked to the guys from Southwest Waste. They came in here. Uh -huh. So I assumed that all this stuff was just going to a landfill, but they said they were able to actually recycle like between 60 and 90% of those materials. I only thought recycling happened with like plastic and wa yeah. you know, paper and stuff, but apparently they can recycle all that stuff, which is, which is kind of cool that that pile isn't just moving to another pile. Right. Which is pretty and sweet. it's great that we can recycle it. So yeah. like in the wake of like a crazy natural disaster, how do you still kind of like have the environmental friendly like tag on it, right? And I think that's a good way to do it of like trying to recycle as much as you can. But that corner down there and that street got decimated. Yeah. Right. So if you're going down that coconut road on the left hand side by the Hyatt Regency, there's like a couple little side streets that have like homes and stuff back there. And I mean they took on crazy amounts of water. On the right-hand side of the street is some new construction. What's interesting is that those homes did okay mm -hmm. because they were built up high enough based on the new code. Yeah. So it just goes to show that when we do a building code and we update it, nine times out of 10, there's a good reason for it and that it can save and protect things. It's really sad about Fort Myers Beach, though, I think just personally, just because I was you know, growing up there as a kid. And it got to a point where I couldn't go there anymore because it was just so damn sad. Yeah. You know, it was just, it's, and it still is. I still, I mean, I wasn't there for like six weeks and I go back and I'm like, I just, I, you can't, your heart goes out to these people. How do you help? You know, these are people that, you know, that lost their homes that are like, they're, they're middle to lower class. I mean, they've been, they've had that home since like the seventies. Yeah. Right. And somehow by the grace of God, the thing stood the test of time in terms of all the hurricanes that hit. Fort Myers Beach. And then this thing comes along and just the flooding and the surge and everything just really did it in. Yeah, it sucks, man. It's awful. It's a shitty situation. It really is. So when yeah. I think like, but what can we do? It's like, well, I think we can just be there for each other and try to help out. I think, you know, there's still people that are in need. There's still people, you know, and FEMA is such a joke. What's, what, a, what What is going on with that? They just they just unloaded like their first trailer like six weeks ago and it didn't even have like running water or power or something. I mean, FEMA is just, a, I mean, it, shocking. A government agency that can't get their <laughs> shit together. <laughs> Who'd have drives thought? Me, <laughs> drives me absolutely berserk. Yeah. So you can't count on FEMA. You can't count on the government. The local township, I mean, shit, like two days after or two months after the storm, they like elected all new people. Like they, one person resigned. They like kicked out someone else or whatever. I don't know. I mean, Fort Myers Beach, the township there, it sounds like it's kind of a nightmare, which is also a testament though to Sanibel because Sanibel has their stuff together. Mm. Sanibel, not only was the governor uh, able to repair that bridge in like four minutes, right? Most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Crazy. But the the help and where Sanibel's at is, is they're definitely ahead of Fort Myers Beach. Yeah. And it was, that was wild to see how fast that got taken care of. I, I had a new level of respect for for that. Um, you know what else was interesting, Chris, too, is like with my business, everyone's like, oh, you must have been crazy busy after the storm. It, we only did probably, I did about 30 free storm inspections because I was like, let's try to get back, right? How do you, yeah. how do you try to get back? Like, let's try to help people. And then we put them at like a really low price point so that we could do like a full inspection for pennies on the dollar just so we could try to, because at some point you're like, Okay, we need to start you making money again. You got to cover costs and everything. Yeah, I yeah. have a team member and, you know, kids and whatever. So um, we were able to help out that way, which was really good. But <clears throat> in the first, like, 30 days after the storm, I think it was either 9 or 11 inspections that we did from people that were on the coast and moved inland. Like, think about that. 30 days after the storm, 
we do nine or 11, whatever that number, it was right around that number um, of people that already moved in. To me, that's like incredible. Like that's a really fast response. Like storm happens on September 28th and like October 1st, you're like, yep, we're moving. I'm done with this. And sometime in October, like you find another place, you go under contract, we come out and do the inspection. So there was a lot of movement that way. A lot of home inspectors, um, well, there were some that were definitely impacted in those areas, right? Cape Coral, Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, et cetera, that couldn't work. So we tried to find them and say, hey, if you need extra work, let me try to help you. We try to find, you know, come on to our team for a little bit. Um, and then there was, uh, I just think like, there were so many inspectors that were like, I'm not doing regular inspections. I'm going to go after, I'm going to do all the mold stuff because that was that's where all the money was. And so they went out and did that. And by doing that, they abandoned a lot of their long-term relationships that they had with like realtors and insurance agents. And we're like, we're not going to do that. So October was actually our best month ever for the year. And the reason was, is it had nothing to do with the storm. It just was because so many people were out doing other stuff we just stuck to our business model and what we're good at and what we know. And it worked out really well for us because we made a lot of new friends uh, in the couple months after the storm. So, you know, uh, again, very respectfully speaking, there was some positive personally and professionally for us yeah. that came of the storm. So, and we were able to help people. And I think at the end of the day, that's that's all you want to do. Yeah. How do you well, help somebody? Is that where a lot of the, like the business growth comes from for you is from those relationships with like realtors and insurance companies and things like that. Realtors and insurance agents are our lifeblood. Okay. Right? So we make friends with as many of those as we possibly can, like as humanly possible. And I got to be honest, there's also a list of people we don't work with because, you know, not every realtor is created equal, right? <laughs> What's the joke in like South Florida? You're in a room with a hundred people, 93 of them are realtors, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I, you know, yeah, I, I sold a home like three years ago. It's fine. I, I'm still a realtor. My, my license is active. Yeah. Um, so we have tend to latched on with <clears throat> kind of like the best. Like we try to like, you know, cause we try to, put our company in like this upper echelon. And so we want to make sure that we're working with the upper echelon of realtors. And we do that. And we've been really, really fortunate. And the same thing with insurance agents. Um, there's a lot of not great insurance agents. And, you know, there's a lot of amazing ones. And so we just find the amazing ones and we hang on tight to them and do we do what we can for them. Yeah. So if you were, so if you were to talk to like a homeowner that was working with like a realtor, let's just take realtor, for example. Mm -hmm. And wherever you come into play for that particular realtor's process, like what whatever stage in the deal cycle that they prefer to have you come in and do the inspection. If you were talking to a homeowner that was looking at working with a realtor, how would you like advise them on, hey, here's what you should look for in a realtor as it comes to the home inspection? that lets that person know this person knows what they're doing. Cause if there's 90% of realtors out there that are just kind of like part time, sure. They may kind of get it right or say, Oh, do the home inspection, but they might also skip that. So what are some like the signals that let you know that you're working with a good realtor? I guess yeah, that's a better question. That's a good question. So, you know, what's funny though about skipping the inspection. So back when like COVID was going on, we remember it seems like forever ago right um but there is like the housing market blew up yeah and so there was a lot of realtors that were advising their clients you need to forego the inspection waive that as your clause and then that's going to help strengthen your deal but if you look at like the really good realtors they're going there's no way in hell i would ever advise my client that and then what i've heard 
and I don't know if this is true, but this is what I've heard, is that a lot of realtors that told their clients to waive the inspection period, they never had their clients sign a hold harmless agreement. So when their client bought the home and moved in and then later on realized, I need a $30,000 roof or this is wrong or that's wrong, they got pissed at their realtor and said, well, you told me I was supposed to waive this inspection and now look where I'm at. And I heard that there were some lawsuits that were starting to happen, like kind of crazy. Like they're going after their realtor because they're, they're saying that their realtor gave them bad advice. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, the majority of realtors out there are really good. And, you know, I think there's always like that small group that kind of ruined it for the bunch. And it's so funny because if you remember too, I was just talking with somebody about this the other day. I go, do you remember like when everybody wanted to be a realtor during COVID and they're all like, Oh my God, this is like the easiest money in the world. Well, then what happened? Well, times got a little tough, right? Interest rates got a little higher and the market kind of slowed down just a smidge. It's weird how none of those people ever followed through and actually got their license and are doing anything right now with it, you know? Hmm, who just so, thought? Yeah, exactly. But what makes a good realtor? I think there's a lot. I think just the communication process, the fact that they have a team of people ready to go. They have a title company. They have an attorney. They have a mortgage broker. They have an insurance agent. They have an inspector. You know, they have all these people that they're like ready to ready to kind of pounce as soon as that contract gets signed yeah. and get the ball rolling. That to me, I think that makes a great realtor and someone that can communicate effectively. You know, most of these people are from out of town. So, which makes it challenging. So how do you make sure that you're communicating what happens in Florida is way different than what happens in Ohio during a transaction? So you have to really understand what that is. And are you doing any communication with the homeowners or the yeah. sellers from the inspection point of view? Just the, um, just the buyers. Okay. So the people that are selling the home, we don't work with them. Um, same thing with like the listing agent, the seller's agent, like we don't really work with them. But on the transaction, what happens is someone goes under contract and then they call us and they say, hey, I'm under contract on this home. When can you get out there? And we're like, we'll see you in a day or two because that's normally our turnaround time. And we'll go out there, do the inspection. Two hours later, they get the report and then we're kind of done. Like that was our side of it. Okay. And then so we're guys, out of the transaction. All right. So you're in and out. So you from the time that you get scheduled is roughly 24, 48 hours. You're, you or your team are going in, fill out the paperwork, take the pictures, write up the reports, and then you guys do that electronically, right? Correct. So you guys take that and then you can send that to them like you said same day or next day? No, two hours. We have a two-hour turnaround time on all reports. Okay. Which is like unheard of in the industry. And it's yeah. no one else is doing that as far as I know. And it's the one thing that realtors are blown away by. So yesterday I did an inspection at three o'clock on this really nice attached villa down in Lately. Attached villas don't take that long to begin with. But anyways, went down there, did the inspection. And at 5.08, the report was out. And the realtor wrote me back. She goes, wow. In like giant capital letters with about 14 exclamation marks. And I go, <laughs> thank you for the business. Thanks for the referral. Let me know what else we can do to help you out, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's how we've been able to build our business, by being efficient, by being on top of it. You know, Relentless Service is our number one company pillar. So, like, that's at the forefront of everything we do, is how do we be of service and how do we help others? And I think that servant attitude, that is what has propelled us. And that's what has given us a little bit of the success that we've seen thus far. But it's been, it's just been awesome. The amount of, the amount of friends. I had a realtor the other day, she goes, you are working with like all my friends. Everyone's using you now. I'm like, well, not everyone because we still have some holes in our schedule. So, you know, but it's also the nice thing about when you have multiple inspectors, you can get out there fast. 
And I have two guys that work for me that are like, we'll work seven days a week. When do you need us? Like, cause I'm like that. That's cool. Now they don't have to be like that. Right. But they know that I'm like a maniac. I mean, two years ago on Thanksgiving, I did an inspection after I dropped my kids back off, right? It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, thanks, gobble, gobble, love you. Hope you enjoyed Turkey Day. Dad's <laughs> going to go to work. And I drove up to Fort Myers. I did an inspection just because I'm an absolute freak like that. I'm like, where's the business? When is it? But it's doing the things that other people aren't willing to do or don't know how to do. And that's what makes you successful. That's the most won't I will attitude. And so we have adopted that motto from my mentor group. We've adopted that motto throughout our team. My admin assistant is relentless with what she does. My lead inspector, my other inspector, myself, and we're looking to add to our team and grow. But we're only going to do it with these people that really understand what does it mean to deliver relentless service? I don't understand Southwest Florida. Why is it so hard? Like when someone requests something, like you see it on Facebook all the time, they're like, oh, I need a good this. Uh, I need a good electrician. I need a good plumber. I need a good AC person. I need a good whatever. And then like, then I, I always, I, I do laugh about this. Like, but I, I need to make sure they're affordable. Well, it's like, yeah. you can't have it both. Like, do yeah. you want good or do you want affordable? Like, I don't know if you're going to get both, right? Um, but that's the thing. And so we just try to figure out a way to like, how do you capture lightning in a bottle? And how do you sit there and grow and scale your company and you don't lose the service component? There's like 10 I can think of off the top of my head that have gotten gigantic in what they do and their service is horrendous. Well, two things. So why why do you think this way in terms of having that be one of the core like pillars of the business? Why is that relentless service part of it? And then as you grow, what do you do to make sure that that stays a part of it? Good questions. I think part of it's being from Ohio. Okay. I think you're just, you have like some Midwest values and you have good work ethic that I'm lucky that I had good parents that instilled a work ethic in me. Um, <clears throat> I also know that like as a business owner, like there's no guaranteed paycheck. So I have to put <laughs> in the work, right? Yep. Like when I was working at the hotel, making crazy good money and having good benefits and everything, that was nice. I could rest on that for a little bit. Um, but I think that for me, relentless service is just something because we don't see it down here. We don't get it. And so like any entrepreneur, you have to fix the problem. Well, the problem I see is good service. It's not there. So I'm going to try to fix that problem. And that's like where we can kind of come into play with it. Um, but, I, you know, for me, it's like, I I don't know, man. I, I think you can grow and scale with the right people. Like people ask me all the time, how did you hire? Because you have three all-stars on your team. I go, I'm well aware. <laughs> like, I know. And honestly, all of them came from networking. So Demarius, my lead inspector, was in my mentor group. And that's how Sean kind of pushed him down to me and said, hey, go go down and talk to Joe. I think this would be a really good opportunity for you. He came down. We vibed. I mean, all that kind of stuff, right? Signed on. And he's been with me for over a year. Molly, my admin, her and I were like knew each other a little bit and like we're Facebook friends, right? And then I post something out on Facebook, like, hey, I'm looking for this admin assistant, work from home, flex schedule, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'm so interested. I go and meet her at seat to table. And I was like, you're perfect. Like, this is everything that we need. Like, you can do this and she can grow with the company. Single mom, two kids, like able to help change her life, right? Giving her more money than she's ever seen. And she's able to stay home with her kids more, which is unreal. Like, that's great. Uh, and then Tyler... Tyler was uh, a paramedic and did some other stuff. And he was thinking about becoming an inspector. So his now future father-in-law 
turned him on to me. And he goes, hey, can Tyler come and shadow you? He's thinking about the inspection world. I'm like, yeah, sure. Comes in, shadows me. He's like, this is awesome. Goes and gets all his schooling done. And then ended up working for another company. Great. That's fine. I wasn't ready to pull the trigger, right? I just, I had like this really bad, I had this bad limiting mindset belief. So I wasn't ready to pull the trigger on Tyler. So I lost him. Then all of a sudden, a few months ago, he reaches out to me. He goes, hey, things aren't going so great where I'm at. I'm just not as happy. Can I just sit down and talk to you? I'm like, yeah, buddy, whatever you need. Like, whether you come work for me or not, can I help you in any way? Like, let me just do that. He comes on and, I mean, he's making two to three times what he was making at the other place. So he's really happy. So I've been able to find these awesome people, been able to compensate them well. Um, Nusana, do you know Albert from Nusana yeah. and Sabrina, right? They're amazing humans. Yeah. So I signed on with Nusana. The company pays for that. So all my team members have health and wellness care that they need. Um, I just signed on with Christina and Vicky with Modern Woodmen of America. They have what's called an executive bonus plan. That is a discretionary piece that I can give my team every year. And like, let's just say it's $1,000. It's almost like a life insurance plan where it compounds interest and grows and that kind of thing. But in like 20 years, they might have like 75 grand in this account. But let's say like five years from now, life happens and they're like, man, I need like five grand. They can pull the money out of that account tax-free. So I need to go buy a new car. I need to do this. I have a down payment here, whatever it is, they can do that. So I am trying to, as a small business owner, figure out ways creatively to take care of my team members. Yeah. I work for a guy that always said, if you take care of your team members, they're going to take care of your clients. And I couldn't agree more with that. Where'd you learn that from? Uh, my hospitality days. Okay. Being in the hotel. Um, I just, cause I work for so many bad people. Like <laughs> the hospitality industry is riddled with crappy people. But I had a couple really, really rock star, all star people that I work for. Isn't that crazy? How like a, a somebody who's really good that you work for can literally change like the trajectory of your life. One thousand percent. But I also look back on that time too, and I'm like, God, I want to send all those horrible people. I want to send them a thank you note because mm-hmm. they showed me the way of how I never want to be in my life. Like it's unreal. And I think at 22, 23, 24 years old at the time, I didn't really realize like the lesson it was going to teach me. But now fast forward 20 years later as a business owner with team, with a team, I'm like, okay, I know I'm not going to like yell and scream. I know I'm not going to like, you know, throw a hissy fit or try to like wield my power or just all those stupid things that like you go through with bad management. Yeah. And it, it actually is a nice lesson and you get to see how people think. And then if they're engaged and what not being engaged looks like Yeah, when they don't know what your job is or have never done it and aren't interest, interested in understanding it at all, the problems that that can have. Yeah. Like I've been, I've done jobs where, you know, you, you run something and you don't know like the 10, 10 foot deep <laughs> level, but you understand five feet deep. Right. And then you can kind of move this forward. But like I've had bosses where, they don't know anything that's going on. And I've seen it literally like destroy either an entire company or destroy a branch that you're at or destroy like a an area. I've seen it happen at multiple companies. And it's interesting once you see it. And then when you have a business and you see it from the other side, you're like, this is how this happens. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. And it's crazy that it's much easier to happen than you think. 
hundred percent. And it's also kind of scary to think that it's so easy to go down that road, uh -huh. right? But I think so many, I, I look back and I, I know there's a giant argument to be made about this next statement I'm going to say, but I think empathy is like the number one trait that a leader needs to have. Um, Why? Because I think when you're empathetic to a situation, it one, it humbles you, and two, it makes you a better leader because you can put yourself in their shoes. Like, you're empathetic. Like, if my admin assistant called me one day and she goes, hey, uh, one of my kids is, like, really sick, and I was up on, I was like, Molly, no problem. Do what you need to do. Like, don't answer the, your emails. Don't worry about the phone. Take care of your kid. She goes, really? I go, yeah. And I go, make sure you clock in and clock out like you normally would. I'm like, but if you need to go to the doctor, if I can do something on my end to help, let me know. She goes, wow, that like she was like ready to like break down in tears. And I'm going, this is like such an easy thing. She has a sick kid. Yeah. Like, really? Like my home inspection business is more important than a sick kid. Listen, I mean, I, I like to think we're doing God's work, but I mean, <laughs> a sick kid's gonna be uh they're they're gonna trump that. And I have two kids. So what does that say about me as a father if I'm like, no, I'm not gonna let you do this, or I'm gonna like come down on you, or you gotta take this day unpaid, or like why? Like yeah. have some empathy and just, you know, but there's tons of times I think that leaders are faced with situations. And I think if they were a little more empathetic, I think that they're, because let, let's be, I'm like, uh, my girlfriend, Melissa talks about us all the time. She goes, people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. She goes, they don't leave companies. They don't leave jobs. They just leave bad managers. And I think that's so true. And I know I've left bad managers before, and I'm sure you've been in situations too. Um, and, and it's I'd, confusing. It's confusing uh, when you're in that spot, and it and it so sucks because you get you get mixed messages too. Like I've been in spots where like I was not engaged anymore, didn't care anymore, and let like let my sales go, all that stuff. Like almost one of those, you know, when you're like an employee, and rather than taking responsibility and going and finding something else, you get in that zone of like weirdly hoping to get fired yes. and it's weird to admit that but it's like a subconscious thing when you're like yeah. i hope somebody else makes this decision for me <laughs> it's one of the worst i highly advise against it for anybody listening yeah. if you're new in your career don't do that but I, i've been there before and it was weird because you'd be underperforming get like a bonus or something or like something contradictory and you get these weird signals that are mixed messages and it almost feels worse like in that case, I felt guilty to get a bonus when I knew I wasn't doing what I needed to be done versus other times where when things were moving the right direction, maybe I would miss out on a deal or I'd lose a sale or I'd whatever it might be, but you're in the game. You feel like everybody else is in the game with you heading the same direction. You might get like a worse outcome and feel better and more fulfilled than if you're working with somebody who's a bad leader and you get a better outcome, you might feel more lost and like kind of gross about it. Right. Does that make sense? No, hundred percent. Cause like, it's funny as you're saying that I'm going, there's probably a few people I should send like an apology card to like, I'm sorry. I suck so bad as an employee. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm really sorry. I busted your chops about this or their thing, or like I acted <laughs> like this or whatever. But then I also think like conversely, Man, it'd be great if there were some of these leaders that I had that were like, I'm sorry I was such an asshole to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, the one, especially like the ones that like used to hold my job over my head every day. Really? Yeah. Like I was in sales at the, at a hotel, like one of my first hotels. And it was like, you come back from sales calls, like, oh, would you sell? It's like, uh, nothing. Like I build a relationship with someone. Like they don't need any hotel rooms tonight. I'm really sorry <laughs> to 
like burst your bubble. And P.S. Your hotel sucks. This is really tough to sell. We're three months out from Valentine's Day. You didn't sell anything for yeah, Valentine's. No, it's like unbelievable. The second hotel I worked at, by the way, I was there for six months as their corporate sales manager, and like the owners got in like a fight with like the city or whatever, and they closed the hotel. I go, I haven't even been here long enough to screw this place up. How can we be closing already? Like, just crazy stuff that I. That my hospitality career was insane. Sometimes it was you, insane. Sometimes you got to fight the state or the county. I know, right? I guess so. But yeah, I mean, but there's those times I'm just like, I look at, you know, going back to like the leadership thing. Leadership thing to me, and I've gone through so many different programs and I've been in leadership roles since I was like in high school. And I think it's just something that I just, I'm drawn to. And like, I knew that like, I knew that I was meant for something bigger at some point in my life. And yeah. I knew like, okay, like I think I was like 26, 27 years old. I was working at this awesome, all sweet hotel in Cincinnati. And I remember I met our, one of the owners and I like just instantly kind of gravitated to this guy. And David was like, he's like this young guy. And he was like owning all these hotels. They used to call him King Midas because everything he touched turned to gold. And all the years I've known him, there's only one deal that went bad on him and everything else like turned out to be just unreal. And so I was like, just tell me what you did. How'd you get to where you are? And David taught me everything there is to know about hotel development. And so I'm like 27 years old and I was helping him out with like pro formas and feasibility studies and all these different, I'm learning about tap fees and I'm learning about all these things. I'm seeing, I went to a conference and I saw an entire deal between two guys get done on a cocktail napkin. And I'm like, this is the coolest shit ever. Like I went in, I don't know what this is, but this is like what I'm meant to be doing. And I think that kind of started that entrepreneurial spirit about me. And then, you know, it took a little bit longer to get going, but we finally got it going. So it's fine. <laughs> eight here. years this month, my company's been uh, up and running. So yeah, it took a while from that 27 to eight years ago. So congrats on eight years. Yeah. Man. Well, somebody lost the under, somebody lost the bet on whoever took the under <laughs> on that. <laughs> He's going to die before he gets that business going. <laughs> well, you either made or lost somebody a lot of money. So well, or both, both, a little bit of both probably. I had a boss like that. Her name was April and she was at a uh, flight docks when I was there. And I actually got a chance to go from like doing some real basic marketing stuff and helping with this kind of paperwork process to, Hey, we're, we kind of want to take the company to the next level so we can sell it. And she had experience running all these corporate banks, consulting with people. Like, I think she, I think she was like, one of the leadership team at Fred, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or something like okay. one of they're in these big places and just got to see like a full blown corporate mindset applied yeah. to a growing business. And it was crazy because the time that she was there, the business grew like 33% year over year. But I got to for like eight months help her put all these plans in place of like, all right, here's what we need to do to get all these technology security certifications. Like these are the 12 people that are involved. These are the yeah. vendors that we need to do. Here's what they need to do. Here's the time that they need to do it by. Here's all the integrations that we need to build with our Salesforce finance team, like all these in-depth API integrations that need to get done. Who's going to do them? Who's going to be the team to like make those transfers how does that look when it rolls out to the sales team, customer service, all these different things? So I got to see the back end of how you build an infrastructure and how all these systems can kind of tie into each other and how they like play together and how it's also interesting to see it because I now know 
all the things that don't work and aren't harmonious. And from a sales perspective, when yeah. you go to sell things, a lot of times what you do when you're a younger salesperson is go and say, well, they said they don't have anything wrong. So like, I, I didn't know. <laughs> and now I know better that everybody's got a pain somewhere. Right. And it's just about like, okay, can I find that? And is what I do applicable to that? It's not to be like, oh, I got to find pain and then be like, yeah, there you go. Like you're like a total asshole or something yeah, like that. But right. it's like, people are trying to solve these problems that are, they want to bash their head through the wall. Cause I know I did. I know that she did when she was trying to get this done. So like, how do I dig in and find that? And now that I'm saying this out loud, that's actually probably where I learned the biggest majority of how like departments and people talk to each other. And oh, so cool. when I go to talk to different, I don't know, sales opportunities, I kind of understand how like departments talk to each other, how mm -hmm. they communicate and where the gaps mm -hmm. fall off. Like in yours, you solved it with the paper processes, right? Like we do this, we do it electronically, we have it done, and then we send it out within two hours. Like you identified that gap in all of these people's processes where this stuff breaks down. And that's like a huge value add that you found that one, lets you grow faster because you spend less time. Yeah. And two, it's that customer service piece because they know that if they work with you, they're going to get that report in two hours. And man, Joe's really falling behind today. I got this three hours <laughs> after. It's, it's a huge shift yeah. into solving people's problems. That's, I don't know, it's... It's pretty cool that you were able to like figure that out. Yeah, well, and you know, and I don't think I'm all that smart. I just think you got to use the tools around you and yeah. like, technology's out there, right? But it's funny about you talking about how you talk to different departments cuz I started off my hospitality career in operations. I lasted like 8 months. I was the worst operator. I probably should have fired myself multiple Same. times, right? Like I'm just not an ops guy. That's just not <laughs> who I am, right? So I knew that I'm like I need to be in sales or something on like the other side of this. But I look back on that time and I like, thank God that I had that because it made me so much better. So then when I became a director and anyone that I would hire, I, they were required to have operations experience. And if they didn't, I would have them go and, and spend an entire week or two weeks into the operations field and be like, you can learn. Oh, you're going to work the front desk. You're going to check people in. You're going to go work food and beverage. You're going to go do housekeeping or whatever it is. So they could understand like that what you're selling, how is this team going to take it? Like, how are they going to handle it? Mm -hmm. And they, and like, so what, what's the old thing? It's like where a, a salesperson just promises the world, but then the operations team can't deliver on it. So no, you need to make sure that what you're selling, they can handle and they can do it really, really well. And you need so that's that. a great lesson that you learn though. 100%. And I also think too, by the way, kudos to kudos, April, you said, yeah. kudos to April, because how often have we come across somebody in our lives that was above us in a management type role? And they never shared their knowledge with us about anything. And not even with us, just anyone. They kept it all to themselves because they were worried that if they shared that, that they were then going to be expendable and they were going to get fired. The fact that she sat down with you and showed you that entire process, that's unreal. And so what are you going to do? Just because I know you well enough, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do the same thing with your company and with everything that you do. Anyone that's Underneath you in any way, shape, or form, you're like, hey, I want to show you this. I'm going to teach you this. And I think today's day and age, you have a business owner as a business owner. And if they have anyone that shows any interest at all 
and what they do, how they do it, moving up, not being stagnant. You want to harness that and take control because we just don't see that that much anymore. No, and and so that piece is, I think, a big factor of why in all these different industries you you see so many gaps, right? So I know from aviation that it's been a huge talk for the past 10, 15 years. There's a technician shortage. There's pilot shortage, all these things. I think two things play into that. One, this huge push to get make sure people go to college and all this stuff. I went, I'm glad I went, I'm glad I got the paper. I almost dropped out. My dad was like, for the love of God, just go get the paper. It's like, all right. So that allowed me to work at Enterprise, meet my wife. That's all good. Glad I did it in, yeah. in hindsight. But the other flip side of that too is I think that in a lot of these industries that came from a time before where it a lot of these stemmed, I think, from World War II of the times after that, like yeah. aviation boomed construction boom, all of these things kind of boomed. And that was the mindset is like, you got to work your way up. But it was very much like you can see what was going on, everything like that. And I think for the past 20, 25, 30 years, there's been a like a protection of the expertise. And it's been maybe the past 10 years where people are realizing like, we can't do that. Like we got to get this knowledge out there because in aviation, there's a there's a huge gap between where most people are and where the next generation of people are coming in. Yeah. Everyone's wondering how we're going to fill it. But the average AMP maintenance technician is 61 in the US. Like what they're they're not they're not like up to date on the computer stuff. A lot of them are now catching up with that, but you have all these things that we do it our way. This is how we do it oh. and we're not worried about it. And then young people go in, it's like all right, I know everything else is done digitally in all these other industries and I can either go here, I can work on a plane for three hours and spend four hours doing paperwork or I can go into HVAC or so like some other thing, maybe make the same or more money and I'm not doing four hours worth of paperwork because like somebody wants it to be that way and that's how we do it and there's no other way. It's I think that plays a big role. I know I'm like going off on a different tangent but i think that that played a big role in in kind of this gap that everybody's seeing and yeah. complaining about uh i'm hoping that it's going to shift i think it's shifting because all this information's out there yeah. and everybody says like young people are lazy i don't quite see that i mean the ones that are lazy are like real glaringly obvious yeah, yeah. in your face they stick out like a sore thumb <laughs> but like I, I see a lot of younger people like Ty's come in and he like, he just, he learned all this stuff, picked up like audio engineering. He did that before a little bit, but with this, how it works with videos, editing, all this stuff. It's, yeah. I think that the, the thirst for knowledge is there, but like, we got to show people how to do it. We have to have educators. Yeah. And as a leader, you need to be an educator. Yeah. And uh, two things that just came to mind as you're talking is I couldn't agree with you more on this stuff is like the seven scariest words and the biggest scariest phrase for me is that's the way we've always done it. It's like, <laughs> oh dear God, like, please tell me we did not just say that from 1959, <laughs> right? But, you know, I, I just, I think what happened was is there is going to be this change in the education factor of this person at the top and this person at the bottom. Because when did it really get exposed of just how vulnerable companies are? Three During years COVID. ago. Yeah, COVID, right? Everybody quit. They're all like, screw you, this job sucks. I'm going to go home and make 500 bucks a week sitting on my ass, and I'm going to figure out what my next move is. And oh, P.S., now I can have my pick of the litter because everybody needs a warm body right now. 
so I can go anywhere I want. So you're I'm you're done holding me hostage. And all of a sudden companies were like, um, we just lost everybody. And like what you said earlier, a leader like that doesn't know how to do anything in the company. And now they're forced to, and they're like, I don't know. I have no idea how to send out this billing. I have no idea who these clients are. I have no idea what this is. Right. And so it really, really exposed companies in a really bad way. Yeah. And I think you're going to start to see that training and education piece. Like people like uh, Melissa Severance with Inspire Big Dreams. Melissa is doing crazy amounts of training with companies on leadership, on systems, on processes, on mindfulness of how to how to be happier at work and have like that happy medium. She's doing some really good stuff. Um, and matter of fact, I do want to plug her one thing that I just thought about this because she's doing this awesome, awesome program the end of April called Disrupt HR. It's a first of its kind event that's coming here. And this is the type of stuff that businesses and HR professionals and entrepreneurs, they need to be going to this thing because it's exactly talking about there's going to be like 15, five-minute like speeches and that's all you get is five minutes and there's like 15 to 20 people are going to do this on a variety of topics but i know that leadership and training and educate that's like a huge overlying theme of this disrupt hr conference but we need more of that kind of stuff and i think employers need to see the need for that and they need to not just like put it off like they have yeah because i mean you're right when you get people that are coming in they're like thirsty and they're hungry and they're like teach me show me i'm like Oh my God, it's just like dirty talk. I mean, this is like, I've been waiting for this day my whole life. You know what I mean? It's like, hold on, I need a cigarette and a beer right now because this is amazing. Like you want people to show that interest. Yeah. Because, and you know what? Not everyone is going to, and that's okay too, because not every, you know, honestly, I know people that are like, like, listen, I'm making 60, 65 grand. I'm really happy with what I do and I don't want to move up. I don't want to move down. I just like want to stay here. Okay. That's okay if that's what you want to do. It's not how I'm built. It's not how a lot of people I know are built. But if that's what we do, that's totally fine. I think we need to embrace that too and say, listen, they can still be awesome at what they do if this is just what they do the rest of their life. That's okay. Yeah. But I do. I, I Man, if someone came up to me like that, like my lead inspector is kind of like that, uh, Demarius. He's just like, explain, why did you do this? Why did you make this decision? How could we do this better? Last time I was on the phone with him for like five hours, it felt like, right? Because we were just like, him and I start talking. It's kind of like you and I. Like, we just start talking, and next thing you know, it's like, all right, we've been here seven hours, so good luck trying to split this uh, you know, split this podcast up and try to make this make sense at all. In the meantime, most of your viewers, are, they're absolutely asleep at this point, I'm sure, right? Tapped out. <laughs> they're tapped out. They're like, is there alcohol around? Like, what do we get for watching this? Like, is there a gift card I get? Or <laughs> Yeah, we'll have a prize at the end. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for more, <laughs> right? But it's true. It's like, you know, you can just talk to some of these people and it's just how like these ideas flow and like the philosophies and stuff. And, you know, I just, I wish we had more of those conversations with each other. Well, it's hard to, when you own a business and do all this stuff. And as I, as I go through this and, you know, as I'm restructuring all this stuff, what I realize I, I own a business, but I kind of own a job at this point. And that's what I'm like restructuring and everything, yeah. but it is, it is like lonely. And I know that you were trying to get me to join the accelerators. We're still going to get you in there. Eventually. Don't worry. We're going to get you in Eventually, there. Eventually. That's the pers- sales persistence right there. <laughs> no, but it's like, not even a sales thing. Just, I, no, I, I know it would be beneficial I know, for you. But that's it comes from the sales part. This <laughs> is that persistence. It's like, you know, no is yes later. But <laughs> but what what is that? what has that done for you as a business owner in terms of having – like a group like that to be able to talk to, to bounce ideas off of. And what's like the the biggest benefit that you get out of 
doing something like that as a business owner? Yeah. So anyone that knows me knows I'm super passionate about the accelerators organization. AO is what we all call it. And it's, you know, I don't know. I look back like five years ago, I was working 60 hours a week at the hotel. I had my inspection company. I was trying to do like nights and weekends on it. Right. And then I had my home watch company. I had like 12, 15 clients. So, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, if I go away, what happens? No one makes any money. So like, to your point, I had three jobs and I was like, this is the, I've done a lot of stupid stuff in my day. This might be the dumbest thing I've ever done. And it's disguised just, as a good thing. Yes. And I'm like, this is, this is just so crazy to me. So then I found Sean Thomas with, at the time it was called Ask a Millionaire, um, and which is now AO. And I started following Sean on what was at first Periscope, uh, which is way back in the day. No one even remembers what Periscope is really. But anyways, um, and then uh, he moved over to Instagram. So I started following on Instagram. And so we had like this, you know, he's like, hey, I'm doing this mentor group for startup entrepreneurs. Because once you hit a million, there's other groups like EO and places like this that you can go to, right? And that they can help you grow and scale to get to 5, 10, 20, 30 million, whatever that number is. But there's really nothing from like the zero to 1 million. Who can help me? And so for me, the greatest thing about AO is that I have mentors from all different industries that have all built multi-million and even billion-dollar companies. So I have a ton of stuff that I have made mistakes on, but I have avoided 8 million mistakes because I can go in and talk to these people and ask them these questions. So I happen to be, this is really timely, I was in Nashville last weekend, and Joe the Home Pro was about to be Joe the Homeless Pro because I have a giant hole in my financials and my business plan that I could not figure out. And I was there for a weekend doing this mastermind and Jen Kale, who's the greatest bookkeeper on the face of the earth, she like, she presented the majority of the weekend and we go through my financials. There was only like 10 of us there for like this mastermind and just to be around other people that are all trying to elevate themselves, right? So you, you asked me like, what's like one of the best things about it? Well, I think it's being able to elevate myself with other like-minded people, being able to ask questions, um, being able just to avoid those pitfalls. The number one thing that it has helped me with, though, is my mindset. Mm, so okay. five years ago, I thought a million dollars was like the be-all, end-all. I look at a million dollars right now, and I'm going, that's 17 bucks. Like, a million-dollar company is like absolutely nothing to me. It's a stepping stone. 100%. Like, Sean sold his company for $20 million. So I always joke that I'm going to get Joe the Home Pro, and we're going to sell it for $20 million and $1. I want to sell for one more dollar than he did, right? Um but for me, it's about just growing that mindset, like thinking, okay, I'm going to bring on a team member. How do I pay them? And I remember Sean just going, Joe, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. You're going to keep growing sales. Sure enough, I was able to make money. Demarius was able to make a bunch of money. He like two and a half, he like two X his salary nice. from what he, when he was working at Walgreens, right? And then I was like, okay, I'm going to keep growing and scaling. So I brought on an admin at $17 an hour, right? Which is more than what most admins make, but I knew that she was worth it. How am I going to pay this money every month? I figured it out. Then I brought on another inspector. All right, how am I going to keep this guy busy? We're keeping him busy. And now I talked to my buddy last night. He's going to probably come join the team in, you know, three or four months after he goes through all his schooling and everything. So do you feel like the mindset piece is that now it's shifted away from like trying to, coast in that employee kind of 
you know, somebody else is going to take care of me versus now that I'm doing this, I have to find a solution. And you end up orienting your mind to actually finding solutions. Yeah. And I think I've always been solutions based. That's just like how I was in the hospitality industry. But like, you know, like when I first started this company eight years ago, I was like, this is great. I'm going to make like 150000 a year. I can figure out how to do that. And I'm just going to do this for like the next 30 years of my life. Well, that was like a really idiot way of thinking, right? I'm like, this is dumb because now I have more time freedom, right? So I can like take trips I've never taken before. Like I just took my first vacation in 11 years in high season. Like I was in Napa for like four days and I'm like, I've never been able to do this before, uh, especially in high season, right? So like that was like really cool. So I have some time freedom. I don't have the financial freedom yet, but I know that's going to be coming. Um, and so I just think like the mindset thing, most entrepreneurs fail because they have a bad mindset and they, they don't have anyone around them that can, they can talk to. They feel like they're an island. They feel like I'm the only one that's going through this right now. Well, I have 250 people in AO that will tell you different because they're all going through, you know, the same thing or similar things. Well, and when you're doing it too, one of the things that I ran into, it wasn't until about a month ago was I didn't want to share any of the things that weren't going right because one, there's there's two, a few different factors, personal stuff, but also just uh, from like even being in grow, like going into a room with other people running a business and being like, hey, I actually don't have my shit figured out. <laughs> um, I need I, I need help here, here, and here. And rather than being willing to do that, trying to like, oh, I've got it all under control. And then you miss out on all this expertise that's out there, people who are actually willing to help you. And I think that that extended my ability to find success with this at least by a year for sure, maybe longer, but it's something that I changed. And in the past month, I've had more useful conversations where people have helped me, given me real guidance, avoided me from real pitfalls than I've had in the past year of talking to people just because I was willing to be honest. And you gotta be careful with that. Cause I don't, I don't do that with everybody because you don't want to go talk to somebody that's like, man, this guy's kind of like sleazy, but you know, let me tell him what my problems are. Like, no, use your judgment kind yeah. of thing. But the, I, I've been able to trust a lot of those people in there in the past month. And it's just amazing. Like the change that's happened just by being willing to do that and get real feedback from, from people who are going through it and who can actually give you like, I'm not looking for advice. I'm just looking for, I guess, kind of advice, but Guidance, direction. guidance. Yeah, yeah, so you definitely should not join AO because that would definitely not help you at all. Well, that's it's, great. It's settled then. I, no, Thank you, everybody. Have good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but right. So, like, exactly though. Like, you have people that you can talk to, and that's what. Like, uh, again, this isn't like an AO commercial, but that's what it's been for me. Like, Sean went from a mentor to a coach to now he's one of my best friends. Like, I'm. I'm. It's so cool to see our our relationship evolve over the last five or six years. Every Friday we do a thing called flex Friday and the whole, everyone participates in it. And we go on our Facebook group and we just write flex Friday. Here's how my week was. You know how many times I've written, this was the worst week of my life. Like I lost money here. This lost this client. This blew up, had a fight over here, whatever it was, something's wrong with my kids. Like you just talk about it. Right? So it's okay. I think it's, I think what I'm trying to say is, and I want people to know, is that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share the bad that happens in your life. 
just as much as it's okay to celebrate the good that happens. And I think too often we're, especially like in social media, like when it's outward to the public, you're like, oh, I got to make sure I put on this facade. Everything's fine. And it's all roses and rainbows yeah. and unicorns, right? I get more comments from people when I share something that's real that like, hey, this happened to me, right? Like when I got hospitalized, you know, a year and a half ago and went through a really bad breakup. And I share that stuff not because it's like, I want everyone to feel sorry for me. I don't. But if that can help somebody or they someone can see like, wow, that's really vulnerable. Like, and they're still able to do this, this, and this. Like, okay, maybe I can get through this. I, I want to help people. I want to inspire people. I just want... I want them to know that like they're not alone and we all go through the ups and downs, whether it's business, whether it's personal. And when we can have other people around us propping us up and supporting us, even when we didn't realize it, and maybe we don't even know why that is really, really powerful. So for me, having AO and having some of my best friends that came from that group, like, and then having people here around Southwest Florida that I've been able to introduce to AO and having them in there and seeing like your friends succeed, there is nothing better than seeing one of your friends that just is crushing life. Yeah. Right. That's just doing so awesome because yeah, I want to see everybody win, you know, and there's a couple people maybe I don't want to see win as well. Maybe not as much, but the majority of people I really, I mean, especially trying to let that go. I know. Strong. I know. Go, go to your happy place, Joe, go to your happy place. But it's true. Like I just want to see everybody win. And so, AO has been a catalyst for that. And then a really cool byproduct is now people see me as like this leader within AO, even though I'm not at mentor status yet because I haven't hit my million, but like they see me as a, a as someone like that they can confide in and talk to and I can help. And then that's also translated into just down here in Southwest Florida, the number of people that since I've been involved with like your podcast or with real producers or grow or whatever that is. And I'm able to get like these speaking engagements and talk to people and being like with JD and biz kids and the years foundation and sitting on the board at Southwest Ford Inc. I am like so lucky. I have these amazing, amazing organizations all around me of all different types of people in all different groups. And I'm able to help people all day long. Like, there is nothing cooler in the world than being able just to help somebody. There's no, there, even if there's no benefit to me, yeah. I just love helping people. And I think that my business, I think that's why I like to go back from like, you know, six hours ago when you asked me this, I'm like relentless service. And I think that's what it is. It's the ability just to help other people. I always want to be there and do that for someone because in my life, I have a lot of people who have helped me along the way. How do you get back? And how do you teach your kids that too? right? We're both dads. We don't want our kids growing up to be jerks. No, It's like, I want you to have a great life. I want to give you experiences that you can only dream of, but you're going to work for it and you're going to be thankful and you're going to be gracious and you're going to give back to other people. And I think the only way to do it is to actually do it because I, I got to- That's a fair point. Yeah. Cause you, you look at your parents as you grow up and all that stuff, or at least I looked at my parents as I grew up and you are you respect it and I think you have to live it because there's so many times where you hate your parents growing up because they're just I don't know enforcing reasonable rules <laughs> that now are reasonable at the time were unreasonable rules like I can't go to New York City by by myself or with my friends at yeah. 15 yeah. you guys are lo like <laughs> you guys are helicopter parents like all right well they're trying to have me not get stabbed. So yeah. I don't understand. There's that. <laughs> yeah. But like being able to live that because then you can see through all those times where you 
think superficially and why you wouldn't do it. And then when you get older and you're in that spot, you suddenly realize like, okay, I got like a, I have this baby that's looking at me all the time. She's saying new words all the time that we didn't know that she knew how to say. Like, I don't know where she picked this up, but she's listening and she's watching and all that's going in. And I don't know, it's like you have to live it. But as you do that, it does impact other people. Like doing all the podcast stuff, people reach out. The amount of like essentially free consulting that is starts off as just a conversation that I've done in the past year is crazy. <laughs> But it also makes me better at this stuff. I understand this stuff more clearly. And when I get higher paying opportunities and things like that, I can talk to people at a five or six figure level for certain things that a year ago, I was trying to convince somebody at a $500 level and couldn't. So it's amazing how when you just put in that time, the opportunities actually open up for you and suddenly kind of like multiply or compound yeah. on themselves it's it's cool but it's all because you put yourself around the right people yeah and that's what this comes down to i think right it's like you know they always say like your your network is your net worth right the old the old slogan or saying there um and it i think it's true like <laughs> what was the one thing that sean told me and i know he didn't make this up but it was like if if you're in a if you're in a circle of five people that are all stupid, you're going to be the sixth, right? Like, so it's all about how you surround yourself with the right people. And I look at like my group of friends down here in Southwest Florida, they are so different, all of us, right? We're all at different stages of our career in different industries, different things. I look at like my friends from college that live in Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky and stuff. And I look at them and like how different all of us are, right? It's okay because like we all bring like this amazing thing to the table though. And we all bring these cool experiences and we all bring like this brotherhood and this love for one another that it's like, man, what do you need? Like, what can I do to help you? You know? And I just think like, like when we can translate that to our kids, that's awesome. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of times I have caught myself and my kids are obviously 13 and 10. So they're older than where you're at in your stage, but I've caught myself saying something or doing something, and I'm like, oh God, it's happening. I'm becoming my parents. This is this is not good. How do I break this? Right? It's like it really scares me though, because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be like this. But to your point, we don't know, we don't know. And I think I don't, I don't know if I ever had. I think I had respect for my parents, obviously, probably because I was just scared of getting the crap beat out of me. Sure, but, same. Because that's yeah. what happened back then, right? I mean, but now it's like I really like have a respect of like what my mom and dad did and how they sacrificed for myself and my brother. And like what I'm trying to sacrifice for my kids. And, and I teach my kids that because probably because I want them to know, because I want to feel a little bit guilty. It's like, Hey, we can go to Disney, but dad's got to go do like five home inspections. Right. They're like, Oh, okay, dad. I get it now. Right. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. <laughs> but you want to teach kids that like, what's the value of that dollar? And Hey, we can go have these experiences, but here's what it takes. Here's yeah. what it's going to cost. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I wish there was a manual for these kids. Did you find one when your daughter was born? It was written in a different language, so I couldn't couldn't really uh, <laughs> couldn't apply it. I tried scanning it with the phone and see if it translated. <laughs> There's no QR code. Oh, Joel Goldstein would have a fit if there was a QR code with that. <laughs> OCSIT, my, our buddy Joe from Grow, I mean, just goes ballistic with the QR codes. He loves them or hates them? Hates them. Oh. It's like like the biggest way to like get all your information stolen, he says. All right. Here I am using them all the time. I got them on the back of my – I don't have them on the back of my <laughs> business right. cards. No, you say it. Well, all right. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Where can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, or 
if there are realtors, insurance agents, how, how do they work with you? Yeah, well, first off, you are truly, I mean, it's been really fun getting to know you over the last year plus, right? I mean, like, you really are a good friend of mine, and I really, really appreciate you having me on here. And you get, just got to be careful when you have me on here because, you know, I can just talk, like, for six hours. And I'm like, let's order sushi. Let's, like, grab drinks, right? I'm like, because it could just be that long. So I hope that someone got something out of this and wasn't like, well, that guy's pretty stupid. But I think we're going to order sushi next time and chew it into the microphones. I <laughs> that think that's I think that's the move. We'll get, that's we'll the get move. sushi and then we'll get chips after that. So they get a little nice <laughs> mush. And dip. They'll get get a mush and some crunch. That's good. It's, yeah. it's, it's called diversity, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah we want, we want son sonic. Sonically, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so everyone can find me. Uh, I'm super big on social. So, um, Joe Nugent Naples is my personal Instagram. Joe the Home Pro is our business one, and same thing with like Facebook. And um, my entrepreneur page is the YP Mentor. So, uh, you can find me all those different ways. Um, Joe at JoeTheHomePro.com. If you need to email me for anything, if we can help a realtor out, you know our website's JoeTheHomePro.com. So, cool. I yeah. think we did that pretty well, by the way. It's like Joe at JoeTheHomePro.com. It's like JoeTheHomePro.com everywhere. Like that's just Google Joe the Home Pro. Yeah, you know it's funny because like that's how like I announce myself when I go into rooms now. Just and I, I it started off as a joke and now it's like this is how we do it and everyone's caught on. Yeah, they're like, "Are you Joe?" I'm like, "No, I'm Bob. Bob. Joe's Joe's busy, but he sent me in his place. Yes, I'm Joe. I really am Joe. I'm Bob the Home Amateur. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, man. This it. was awesome. Super fun. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Southwest Florida Podcast. We help businesses make marketing videos. Now, a lot of businesses see the value in video content, but they don't know where to start. Filming, editing, posting on social media, these can take up a lot of time and they can be pretty frustrating. And that's where we come in. We work with businesses to highlight the value they bring to their customers and share that online. Now, we've created the Marketing Manager's Guide to Video Content that you can download for free by following the link below or scanning the QR code on your screen. 